0: Welcome to the Sporting Around the World podcast episode number 3 Austria. My name is Bobby and joining me as always David. So we're back with a country profile episode after we did our first spin-off last week. A bit of a passion project for you David.
1: Um yeah, we talked about the Disc Golf World Championships um which concluded on Saturday. Well, I won't mention who won. I'll leave it up to people to find if they want to find and if they're going to watch coverage on, you know, any of those channels I mentioned. You know, I don't want to spoil it for them. But I do need to make a correction. Um, there has been a female or a FPO, Women's World Champion, from Europe and outside the US. And that was in 2004 uh, from Solna, Sweden. Birgitta Lagerholm? I hope I did that right. That's that's my best guess. It, it seems very straightforward, but I could be very wrong. But, you know, just wanted to... Maybe Birgitta's listening, you know? Maybe she... Uh, <laughs> was insulted, and so I want to make amends.
0: Yes, so there has been a European champion before.
1: Yes, for the FPO,
0: not for the men. Cool, so go give it a listen. Uh, definitely recommend. We'll be av- having a spinoff episodes every other week as we alternate between country profiles and those. So the first country profile that we did was Mali, a bit of an unknown country to the average Joe, especially with sports. Now, Austria today, on the other hand, definitely well known and sporting pedigree is just on a different level this time.
1: Yeah, they're um they're definitely a bigger deal when it comes to things like uh let's just talk I mean, you know, just Olympics, you know, just one thing. So mm-hmm. it'll be uh a different kind of episode today.
0: Yes. So, the way that these profile episodes work, we've done lots of research into Austria We'll share with you all the interesting things that we found, have some discussions, and by the end, you're going to know everything there is to know about sports in Austria. Now, I'm sure that most people listening will have some idea where Austria is located, but to those who are unfamiliar, it is a landlocked nation in Central Europe, bordered by eight countries, Germany, Czechia, Slovakia, Hungary, Slovenia, Italy, Switzerland, and Little Liechtenstein. Can't forget about them. Uh, To describe what the country looks like, It's a bit like a ping pong paddle on its side uh, and jutting out to the west. You have the handle.
1: I was I was thinking more pancreas, you know, that's that's the kind of vibe I'm getting. The pancreas of Europe. Okay, Um, (laughs) but it looks like, you know, we have a satellite image. It looks like uh, tons of mountains and uh, some greenery um, Mm -hmm. far from the desert half that Molly had.
0: Yes. So the handle part whatever you want to call it the western part of the country going all the way into the middle it's just mountains and those mountains specifically are the eastern alps so as you can guess there's going to be a lot of winter sports mentioned in this episode as you can guess with mountains especially in the alps it gets pretty cold it's more of a tundra climate an alpine climate (laughs) haha because it's the alps
1: I, i see what you're doing
0: But the rest of the country, it's still cold, but like the normal kind of cold you can expect from, you know, Canada, at least the part of Canada where people live, the northwest U.S. and Eastern Europe.
1: Not miserable cold, just cold.
0: Yeah. Well, what us in the United States would expect from cold. So size and population, there's only nine million people in Austria, so less than half the size of Mali from the last episode. And it's a pretty small land area. I know humans aren't really great with bigger numbers like this, but eighty-four thousand square kilometers, thirty-two thousand five hundred square miles, for us in the United States, it's about the same size as South Carolina. So, so not very big. What you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> you trying to make South Carolinians mad at us? That is a very small state, though. You're, you're it, right. It is. We're from North Carolina, so bit of a rivalry. Better Carolina. <laughs> yes.
1: I guess not small in terms of like some of the really tiny ones that are up north, but still. I would imagine bottom 10 in size. Close to that, I think. I would say maybe, yeah, I think bottom 10. I I feel confident in that estimate.
0: Okay, well, you can Google as I'm going through the rest of this. Uh, So, in Austria, lying along the Danube River, you'll find the capital city, Vienna, and that's where most of the people live. That's the country's uh, capital. got 2 million people thereabouts living around the city. Uh, You find an answer, David? No, it's 11. No. Oh. That was close though yeah i mean good guess 11th cl- close enough west virginia
1: that's mm. number 10 anyway i digress yes <laughs> i, I kind of knocked
0: this off the rails might be well i was gonna ask you do you know anything about vienna austria's capital
1: um i know it's a big music place um mm-hmm. i also don't like the sausages uh <laughs> i don't know if that's a thing over there and it's just you know
0: sometimes we take things and we just label them as you know something else i don't know if that's an actual right. No, I looked into that a bit. So like Vienna sausages, as we know in the United States, those nasty things that you find in cans filled with water, those are an American, I don't want to say creation, but we took Vienna sausages and we just kind of made it its own thing. So what we associate with Vienna sausages, not what they have in Europe. Rabbit hole that I went down (laughs) doing research. So, you know, you have Franks or Frankfurters. They're from Frankfurt. Now, what is Vienna in German is W-I-E-N. So, what are their sausages? Wieners.
1: Mm, that makes sense. That checks out.
0: Crazy stuff you learn. <laughs> right, this is about sports. Uh, before we get into that, notable cities in Austria other than Vienna, we have Graz, Linz, Salzburg, and Innsbruck. We'll be ringing up some of those later. Kind of wanted to mention Salzburg just because if you know any German words, they kind of combine words a lot salzburg is literally just salt castle
1: that's pretty it's a pretty cool name too i'm assuming salt mines near a castle but who knows who knows i would assume there is something you don't just name a place salt castle you know
0: <laughs> so other things about austria to know german is the official language specifically it's an austrian german dialect they do have an unofficial language austro-bavarian Uh, It's more of a Germanic language, lots of regional dialects. I don't even know if they have their own dictionary. Truthfully, I don't know much about Austro-Bavarian. But anyway, the people living in Austria. So Austrian is its own ethnicity at this point. I guess some people living there may not identify as like Austrian being an ethnicity. But I think after World War II, my understanding is that Austrians are no longer just an offshoot of Germans like we are our own people. Uh, Other minorities living there, though, we have Turks, Serbs, Hungarians, Bosnians, Slovenians, Croats. I believe there are some communities on the borders of some of these countries where, like, after wars, there's, like, a Hungarian community just living in Austria. I think same with Slovenia. And as far as history goes, there's just so much to unpack, so we're not going to dive into it too much. But the general timeline, we have the Holy Roman Empire, there's the Habsburg Dynasty, Austrian Empire. Uh, Austria-Hungary, then there's World War One. brief period as a republic, annexation by Nazi Germany, World War Two, Allied occupation, and then 1955, they established a new state treaty. So October 26th, 1955 is the national day where they declared permanent neutrality. So, that's Austria.
1: I'm thinking of that Futurama joke about, look at him,
0: <laughs> a true neutral or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Okay, so we'll move into the sports now. Uh, if you are to ask an Austrian what the most popular sport in the country is, you know, you might hear association football or soccer to us Americans. And yeah, it's the most popular team sport. But the other answer that you might hear, you know, you've got these giant snow-covered mountains. So David, what do you think they do on those mountains?
1: I would guess some type of sport. Uh, could be skiing, snowboarding. Uh I'm a big fan of tubing myself. You know, just riding oh, all the way down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> That's what we do on ski trips. We're just the guy going on the tubes. Hey, look!
1: I've tried skiing. I'm not very good at it. And then I'm like very concerned about snowboarding. Snowboarding, where you have your feet like you know clicked into one board. It's like one. Yeah. No. 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 That's disaster. It's, it's 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 waiting to happen.
0: Oh yeah. I've I've done snowboarding. I actually haven't done skiing, but snowboarding that was a time you do fall a lot snow hurts (laughs) uh, yes the ground hurts and the snow's not padding no 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 you just kind of feels like concrete when you're going that fast but anyway what do they do in austria yeah david kind of said it they do all those things but alpine skiing is the highlight of this episode it's more than a sport it's a way of life for austrians so alpine skiing what is it specifically it's the downhill skiing. It's what you do at the ski resorts. Uh, whereas Nordic skiing would be the other main type of skiing that would include your cross country. The main difference is in Alpine skiing, your heel is attached to your ski in Nordic. It is not.
1: Alpine seems to be like the more recreational of the two in terms of like, you know, practical use. Cross country skiing makes sense from a you know survival standpoint. I need to go from point A to point B and there's a lot of snow in the ground, you know,
0: it's right, better than yeah. just
1: like running in snow.
0: Yeah. And I guess you can, base off the names of those, Nordic skiing originated in Norway. I, I think Norway specifically, but that's what Norway is more known for. Though they do alpine skiing as well. And Austria, they do Nordic skiing too. But obviously with mountains, you're going to utilize them more. <laughs> so um, the events that are included in alpine skiing, there are five major ones that you'll see in the Olympics. So we have the slalom, that's the most technical event where you're turning a bit more often. You go through the gates. I mean, all these you go through gates, really. Giant slalom, that's a little bit bigger. The super giant slalom or the super G, that's known as more of a a speed event. The downhill, that's where you're going, just all about speed. You know, 100 miles per hour faster or 160 kilometers an hour faster. And then you'll have the combined event, which is just, they do runs of downhill and then slalom so kind of combining um, who can do good at both sides of the you know speed and technicality and then they have uh, parallel races which is more of a new thing to my understanding you got two parallel slalom courses and you know you, you race down at the same time against your opponent so where does austria stand in alpine skiing the best they are quite simply the best in any of those events, any competition, uh, Winter Olympics, they have the most medals by far. We're looking at 128 total medals. Next closest is Switzerland with 75. Oof. And then third place is USA, 48.
1: Just looking at the the totals, it's like uh, 40 gold, 44 silver, 44 bronze. So the USA has 48 medals total. And like yeah. in one category, Austria is almost beating us. Not to say that, you know, we need to pick it up, but I guess when your whole country does it, uh, you're at a bit of a disadvantage.
0: (laughs) I think I read somewhere that over 40% close to half or close to half the country of Austria just skis, at least recreationally. Whereas here, it's like, it's become more accessible, I think. But for a while, it, it was just what... I think more upper class people did. yeah
1: it's definitely a, an expensive hobby in the united states in terms of just destination wise you know some places mm-hmm. you like in north carolina for example there are places you can ski but it's like artificial. like we have to generate snow it's not the same as like somewhere like you know in the rockies where you can kind of get it there naturally and stuff
0: right we have very few options whereas austria i forget how many ski resorts they have. Which means a lot. It means a lot if you can't remember. You know, if it's not a small number,
1: then it means there are a ton.
0: Yeah, there's more more to choose from. I think you have your more expensive, elaborate ones, and you have some that are more accessible for people of any income.
1: Kind of like golf here. You know, you have like really nice courses, but you also have, mm-hmm. you know, that par three that you, don't, you can pay like 20 bucks for and go play a round of golf or whatever, you know? Yeah
0: um continuing with just to highlight how dominant Austria is so the FIS is the International Ski and Snowboard Federation it's something in French like the actual FIS so what the FIS does they have the Alpine Ski World Cup and this sounds a bit weird to call it the Ski World Cup but it is just the yearly circuit the season for skiing think like Formula One where there's like points given out and they go around on like a world tour to all these different mountains and they compete in all the events. So that's happened every year since 1967 and people can win the overall title for male and female and Austria has won 34 titles, 34 individual titles. Next closest Switzerland with 20. Straight up
1: domination.
0: Yeah, we'll get to some of those people later on. You can we have the picture of the awards here. They get little crystal globes. And the first thing that I noticed on these little globes they got these rings on the handle. I'm like, oh, that's the Olympic rings. No, 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 no. They're just sponsored by Audi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does look like the, the Olympic rings at first glance. And then you just look at it longer and you're like, oh, wait, no, 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 that's not that's not right. They're missing a ring and then one of them's in a wrong spot. And Yeah, uh, but sponsored by Audi.
0: Big. I mean, huge. Yeah, pretty big stuff. And uh, the other thing that the FIS does is they have the Alpine Ski World Championships. So they have the World Cup. Just a season, world championships. That is the thing that happens every other year. And again, Austria has the most medals 253, Switzerland second with 177. So when we get to Switzerland, whenever we cover them, you know, they're really good too. But Austria, just another level above them in all of these. uh So places that you can ski in Austria. The most notable location is probably the Hanenkam Mountain. So this is part of. Kitzbühel I hope I said that right so Hanenkam is one of the most iconic races in the world probably the most iconic it's part of the world cup every year it's also known as being one of the most difficult mountains to go down at least the uh I forget the exact name for it but the the race that they do in the world cup uh the rest of the Kitzbühel area is good for tourism though they have other accessible slopes there um Innsbruck is a popular ski destination Because it's also one of the largest cities, and they hosted the 1964 and 76 Winter Olympics, as well as the 84 and 88 Paralympics. And then the last place we have is St. Anton, and this one is notable because of historical significance. And why you may ask? Hannes Schneider, not really a notable athlete from Austria's history, but big figure in ski history, became a ski instructor at St. Anton in the early 1900s developed the Arlberg technique. And this is just a teaching technique where basic progression, learning basic movements and building up from there. But I think at this point is when skiing really became, you know, a recreational activity that more and more people took part in. And he would move on to the United States and kind of help spread it there. Believe he moved to Massachusetts.
1: Well, yeah, I can imagine it's not really a sport that a bunch of people are going to get into if they can't figure it out relatively quickly. Going downhill at, you know, s- decent speeds, even on the bunny slope. And then, you know, not knowing how to stop and not knowing how to maneuver. You're going to have a bad time. So, you know, that that definitely was the first stepping yeah. stone, you know, getting to where let's work on these things and then you build off those and get to a point where you can actually enjoy skiing um, and it probably wouldn't be a thing if he didn't invent that type of tech. or what's called the Aurelberg technique.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's still used today, like the basic concepts of uh, learning ski instruction uh, moving on from him though when we get to the 1950s this is when Austria really took off as the skiing giants that they are today and part of that is from this guy Tony Saylor so he was born and raised in Kitzbühel where the Hahnenkamm Mountain is and he was pretty young when this happened he won all three of the gold medals for alpine skiing at the 1956 Olympics there's only three events at the time sweep <laughs> yes yeah, sweep then at the 1958 World Championship, two years later, he would win three more gold medals, but then retired the next year, only 23 years old. And it was due to amateur status because Olympians were required to be amateurs. And this was until like the 70s, I think. And Saylor, I believe he made some money from skiing, but also from acting. Mm. You might hear his name today as Tony Sailor is a ski clothing brand. I'm not that into skiing, but I'm sure some people out there will see his clothing. Now, moving on from Sailor, Marie Moser-Proll, one of the most dominant women in skiing is also from Austria. While she only won one Olympic gold, and that was in 1980, the Skiing World Cup began in 1967, and this is when her career kind of began. She won six World Cup titles, uh, including five straight from 71 to 75. And those six World Cup titles is the most among women and second most overall. And David, can you guess where the person who has the most World Cup titles is from?
1: Uh, looking at the data, I would I would guess Austria, but may- maybe you're trying to trick me.
0: No, no, it is Austria. And it's a recent person who you may have heard of, Marcel Herscher, um, maybe the best Alpine skier ever. So he won eight straight World Cup titles from 2012 to 2019. I believe he retired right after that too. So going out on a high note, but you know, most dominant skier eight eight straight years. You're the best in the world. I don't know what else you want to, where else to
1: go from there. Give him the goat status.
0: Mm -hmm. Now we mentioned all these people just to highlight how dominant Austria has been at Alpine skiing. Skiing is an individual sport. I mean, you can have team events and all, but at the end of the day, it's all about who goes down the fastest and There's so many other people that we could mention here. Like, I'll run through a few of the notable names, like Herman Meyer, four World Cup titles, Stefan Eberharter, two World Cup titles, Benjamin Reich. He only won one World Cup, but I mention him because he finished second five different times. So just just there. Mm. I know, like, if one race had gone differently throughout the course of the season, you might be looking at a guy who also won three or four world cup titles but alas just the one Um, on the women's side Michaela Dorfmeister won the 2002 world cup Uh, Anna Feith won two world cups she was a more recent one and here's another person who had a brief career Petra Kronberger so her career lasted from 87 to 92 and in that time won two Olympic golds and three straight world cups and retired At the age of 23 after 1992, uh, she was the first skier in the modern era to win at each discipline during the same season. So like every single event she won in most of these people who also won World Cup titles, they were dominant, at like two different events where they're winning like every single time. And then the other events was just kind of like, eh. was
1: this another weird like amateur status thing?
0: No, because this was in the 90s. The reason that she retired, to my understanding, was I, I think she just lost the motivation to do it was what I I saw it from a mo- couple different sources, just lost the motivation to compete, I guess. I, I don't know if there was like a pressure element involved. I mean, only 23 and then you're the World Cup champ three years running. I don't want to speculate too much on the reason, but you came in, you did what you set out to do.
1: Yeah. Climb up to the top of the mountain, you know. It's a big ass to stay up there if you don't want to be up there, you know you you've peaked yeah not, not to say that you couldn't have done that for longer. It's just you know you've taken you you've made it to the top, you know you climbed Everest, you know no one's judging you if you don't want to climb it again you you climbed up it and then you skied down it true, true it sounds a lot more dangerous though than skiing in Austria,
0: <laughs> very true, so I know that was a lot about skiing. We're not done with the sport just yet because part of Nordic skiing is ski jumping which is terrifying (laughs) just to imagine doing ski jumping i'm sure people are familiar with the event it's one of the things that i actually watch at the winter olympics but it's where you're going down the mountain you go off a ramp and then you see how far you can fly (laughs) so austria has had multiple ski jump world cup winners because that they have a world cup for that too uh stefan kraft two-time world cup winner but also the world record for longest ski jump, 253.5 meters. That's far. Yes. Um, That is two and a half football fields. But then on the women's side, Daniela Arashko Stolz, also Austrian, also World Cup winner, and has the longest ski jump for a woman at exactly 200 meters. So she's the only woman to go that far, which is also very far. (laughs) That is, I,
1: I mean, I feel like 100 meters is far i mean i'm maybe not in you know, terms of world championship far but i mean that's that's still far and it's two twice two of those mm-hmm. 200
0: meters uh her world record was actually done in austria at Combe, and it is one of the tallest hills in the world so it's ideal for going for these world record type of jumps and david we have the picture pulled up you can see i think you can see where they're jumping off at
1: yeah just so much real estate at the, at the bottom just to account for such long distances.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So moving on from skiing, though, obviously in a place with a cold climate, there's going to be other winter sports for people to participate in, Uh, you know, snowboarding, curling, ice skating, skeleton, uh, bobsledding, luge. Andreas and Wolfgang Linger, they were brothers who won Olympic gold twice for doubles in a luge. So, yeah, athletes just winning gold medals in all the winter sports here. And we can't mention all of them.
1: What a nice luxury to have as Austria compared to you know molly who's still trying to get their first medal
0: yeah just it this really highlights the the disparity between some countries like oh we only won two gold medals this time and then you have other countries just hoping for the first in, in any bronze gold silver whatever um austria is looking for more success though in ice hockey so our first team sport really to mention they do have a domestic league in austria Though it's not just in Austria, so it's the International Central European Hockey League. So the abbreviation there is the Ice Hockey League. Ha ha ha
1: They got some uh big brained uh marketing people over there for the uh
0: for the Ice Hockey League. The Ice Hockey League. Yeah, you just type that into Google and it'll <laughs> pop up. <laughs> You're just looking for ice hockey in general, but then that league shows up. Uh so it used to be solely just An Austrian league but now there are teams from Italy Hungary and Slovenia in the league but when it comes to international hockey Austria is kind of like uh how do I put this the the way that the IIHF does world championships so it happens like every year and the top 16 in the world they have the they're in the like the a division I actually don't know the exact name the championship division if you will so your top teams in the world and Austria is just perpetually on that fringe. Mm. So I guess using, I like to call it the also ran category. You're good enough to be there all the time, but are you going to make much of an impact? Will you win a game? You might win two, but that's Austria and that's for men's and women's. They're just right on that cusp of
1: the cutoff. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But as far as players go, there are I believe 10 Austrians who have played in the NHL. Uh, Most famously is Thomas Vanek. So he was the fifth overall pick in 2003, played over a thousand games. Um, He was mainly with the Buffalo Sabres, scored 373 career goals, topped that 40 goal mark in a season twice. So he's one of the people that I know uh, watching growing up, not quite like the elite level, but was always, you know, a top six forward on any team. So notable player there. And then we have Andre Burakovsky. He is still active. He was on the Washington Capitals Cup winning team in 2018. And also the most recent Colorado Avalanche as part of their Stanley Cup winning team actually scored the game winning goal in game one in overtime. He's had a good career, just signed with the Seattle Kraken as a free agent. Gets to wear those nice threads. One of the best jerseys in hockey, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, hopefully they can put together a good, season this year i guess the expansion draft when they brought in <laughs> vegas and uh who else was it before them but anyway i mean vegas was so strong that they kind of nerfed the expansion draft and it, you could yeah. see it for seattle this year they looked a little um a little uh they needed some
0: help yeah maybe burakovsky can do something um yeah burakovsky definitely going to be a top six forward on that team yeah we'll we'll see how seattle does uh so i, I put down tennis here mainly to mention So in terms of uh, people who have won Grand Slam tournaments from Austria, they do have two people. Thomas Muster won 1995 French Open. He was the number one ranked tennis player in the world. So huge deal there. But more recently is Dominic Team. I believe it's just that's how you pronounce the last name. Team. He won the 2020 U.S. Open. And just to highlight how crazy it is for any men's player to win a Grand Slam title in this day and age, since Roger Federer won his first Grand Slam in 2003, there have been 76 tournaments, and 63 of them have been won by Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic. So that leaves only 13 that were not by won by one of those three guys. Mm. Yeah. But Dominic Thiem, he, he won one of them. Um, <laughs> not to discredit that win, but Federer, I believe, was out-injured Nadal didn't participate because it was the first tournament since COVID and he didn't want to come to the U S and then uh Djokovic. I don't know if you remember this, but he got ejected from the tournament after he, he kind of hit a ball somewhat in anger and, and he hit the lines woman. It
1: was very unfortunate that it happened and you know, it was one of those things where I don't think he meant it, but you know, when that happens, it's like, okay, you gotta go. Um, mm. I remember that.
0: Yeah. So, that kind of opened up the possibility to anyone to win and Dominic Team took advantage. I believe he will he's suffered with injuries lately because the 2022 US Open is going on right now. I don't even know if he's ranked anymore. It's been that much of a decline. He, like, he lost in the first round.
1: Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen his name um in a while. I think he is like in the two hundreds for ranking now. So
0: Okay. Well, I mean still you you were at that level of like, I think he was peaked at number three in the world. So yeah, that's correct. And he's he's not even thirty years old yet, so he could make a comeback.
1: Yeah, it just depends on the injuries and where they are. You know, some ones are some are tougher than others to come back from. But um, you know, not counting him out.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to another sport that really just has one guy to mention here is basketball. Uh, Austria basketball, not super notable. I mean even in European standards they don't qualify for the Eurobasket tournaments that goes for men's and women's uh but Jakob Pultel, uh he was a first round pick of the Toronto Raptors in 2016 he's a not only I mean, he's 7 foot 1 so obviously he's a big center but he's not like not super bulky by the looks of him and he was the first Austrian in the in the NBA and after being traded to the San Antonio Spurs he's gotten progressively better and is right now like I don't know borderline all-star He's somewhere between like that solid starter to all star level, top like seventy five players in the league. So representing well for Austria.
1: Yeah, true. Sure. We'll see if there's a uh, some ripples in the Austrian basketball after uh, you know after a few years considering yeah. um, Poto is uh, doing well, mm-hmm.
0: and he's still pretty young too. Uh, I don't know the exact age, but he's twenty six, twenty seven, somewhere around that range. So he's got years to go at the top. But speaking of American sports here is American football. Believe it or not, American football is kind of big in Central Europe, especially Germany, but Austria as well. So the Austrian Football League, it exists. They they play American football in Austria. But the best teams left that league to join the European League of Football, which was established in 2021. So the European League of Football, you got teams from mainly Germany, but now you have teams from Austria. Uh Barcelona has a team. Uh, Barcelona.
1: <laughs> yeah, Barcelona. Don't forget the list. Don't forget the list.
0: <laughs> There's a team from uh, uh Turkey as well. But the teams from Austria, you have the Vienna Vikings and Raiders Tyrol. They joined for the 2022 season, which the playoffs are starting for that next week, actually. Vienna went 10 2 this season. They'll be the two seed. Raiders went eight and four, so they'll be the four seed. And only four teams make the playoffs, so Austria. Both of their teams made it; had really good seasons.
1: Yeah, fifty percent of the of of the playoffs, and then a hundred percent for Austria. So crazy, crazy that that. I mean, that they're doing that. You yeah, know? And
0: first season too in the league. So uh, the league's doing well too. The attendance went up pretty significantly from year one to year two. Both Austrian teams had good attendance numbers, and by good we mean like three thousand plus fans a game, which. I guess, significant for American football in a place other than America.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're you're going to have some high schools in in the US do better than that. But I mean, for a sport that didn't start there and is really uh, fairly new compared to other sports, you know, it's a it's a big deal and it could grow. I mean, I think the NFL's coming to Germany this year. So, mm-hmm. you know, who knows how big uh, that league will grow.
0: Uh, I don't know if you saw these uniforms and the colors here of the two teams. The Vienna Vikings, though, looks really familiar, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's international, so copyright is kind (laughs) of on the, you know, it doesn't necessarily hold ground in other countries, but um, suspiciously close to uh, the Minnesota Vikings.
0: Yes, same color scheme. Very, very similar logo. Uh, Raiders Tyrol, though, same colors as, you know, the American the Las Vegas Raiders. Mm. You got the black, silver and white, but they have a unique logo. You got a, some sort of bird of prey with like the, uh, the cutlass sword. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Makes it look like a flag, but from one type of football to the other association football or soccer. So this would be as in most countries, the most popular team sport, Austria, it's no different. They have the Bundesliga also known as the, other Bundesliga because the German league is pretty notable and a lot of the top Austrian players go to play in Germany the Austrian Bundesliga though they got a couple notable teams Uh, Rapid Vienna and Austria Vienna they're the two historically dominant teams Uh, their rivalry is known as the Vienna Derby Uh, we've got their picture pulled up with their colors and I appreciate uh, Rapid Vienna they're green Austria Vienna purple I like when teams aren't just Basic colors like green and purple, especially purple. Purple's not seen enough. Props to them. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's it's nice to be, you know, not looking at a, a white jersey with a red accent versus mm-hmm. you know a black and white jersey. You know, it, it's nice to switch it up. And I yeah, I like the purple jersey a lot, but I do like all green. Big fan.
0: Yeah, especially that shade of green, like the the emeraldish. Yeah, green.
1: almost yeah, emerald almost forest. Maybe like a maybe not as dark, but you know that kind of. Uh, it's good, you know?
0: It's yeah. Uh, I should also mention that Austria-Vienna, their stadium is the, the stadium that hosts the Vienna Vikings, who are also purple. So you, you keep some sort of cohesion there.
1: Yeah, you don't want to have to change your uh, <laughs> your uh, decorations uh, around the stadium. <laughs> so it's probably probably a smart move.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the other notable team, though, Red Bull Salzburg. So this was their f- Red Bull has multiple football teams around the world. They've got Leipzig in Germany, New York, Red Bulls here in the United States. But Salzburg was the first dabble into the sport, uh, previously known as Austria-Salzburg until 2005. But since the takeover, you have the money coming in. They've established so many youth development pipelines around the world, including in Mali, their partnership with the JMG Academy we mentioned two episodes ago. So give it a listen. Um, But Red Bull, uh, the Salzburg team, they've developed so, so many talented footballers, helping them get to that next step. Uh, Sadio Mane, who African Footballer of the Year, Champions League winner with Liverpool, now playing for Bayern Munich. He played a year or two with Red Bull. And Erling Holland, the young phenom, moved to Manchester City, already has two career Premier League hat tricks in like five games. Also, he only played for a Red Bull for half a season and he did so well there, scoring more than a goal a game and then immediately moved on. But yeah, they they give the opportunities to the young players. So they get a lot of hate for being a corporate team. Mm. But you know, they're doing good things, giving the young people opportunity. I like. As far as women's football goes, there is the Frauenliga, it's the top women's league. You know, you see this a lot in the sport where one team dominates, uh, St. Poulton, they've won seven straight titles, but before that SV Neulingbach, 12 straight titles. Ah, uh, I mean, good for them. <laughs> it's the kind of stuff that you hate to see.
1: It seems to be kind of a recurring theme with smaller leagues. It's just, you have a couple teams that are kind of big bullies, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what's happened in, on the men's side, Red Bull Salzburg has won almost every title since they had the Red Bull takeover. <laughs> Uh, and it's gotten to the point where they are just far and away the best team, like maybe losing once in the, the league season. Uh, on, on the flip side of that, though, is they are Champions League group stage regulars now for European competition. They made it to the knockout stages too last year for the first time. So moving up. As far as international football goes, I think it's again a case of good but not quite great. So the men's national team, They were really good back in the day. So in the 30s, they had the the Wunda team, if you will. They finished fourth at the 1934 World Cup, uh, finished third in 1954. Uh, Since then, nothing much. They haven't qualified since 1998, despite having a team full of Bundesliga regulars. Uh, you'd, You'd expect them to do a lot more than they've done. But we bring up the older teams because Matthias Sindelar, So this was their star player of the 30s and the 20s, too, known as the Mozart of football because Mozart was from Austria. Uh, So he was a super creative type. You know, he played forward. I hate calling comparing someone to like Lionel Messi, but it's that type of player where you're going to you can score, you can assist, you can dribble, you can do just about everything.
1: Yeah, you're a problem.
0: Yeah. The type of player where like they're going to lead your team in goals but they're not even the primary goal scorer, if that makes sense. Like a Wayne Gretzky deal where he he still scored the most goals in NHL history, but he was a playmaker. Yeah. <laughs> and we mentioned Sindelar. He, he might be the best Austrian footballer in their history. It's kind of hard to compare errors, obviously, especially from the 30s. But he was notable for his death as well. So he died in 1939. He was only 35 years old. And if you remember the history of Austria here, this was when Nazi occupation happened. And there's a conspiracy theory. He was found dead in his apartment with his girlfriend. It was labeled as carbon monoxide poisoning. But there's conspiracies that he was killed by Nazis because he refused to play for the new the occupied like the German national team at that point, though he was 35. So fair that he might not want to play anymore. There's rumors he was just murdered. He was committed suicide because he didn't want to live in the occupied country. Dig into it if you want. We're just throwing it out there not to make light of the situation. But yeah, just the stuff that you find when you don't expect. You, you wouldn't expect that looking up a uh, old footballer.
1: Yeah, uh, no doubt. I think whatever the situation was, it's definitely a tragedy for Austria. Um, how's the team doing now?
0: So nowadays... They haven't qualified for the World Cup still since 98. Me watching Austria. So they, uh, their first European Championship appearance was 2008. They co-hosted with Switzerland. So as a host, you automatically qualify. Uh, they did qualify for Real, though, in 2016, as well as 2020. Uh, and in that most recent uh, Euros appearance, I mean, they... I feel like they should be so much better than they are. Like, they have the talent there. They have a bunch of really good players, but no... they do have elite players, too. Uh, We'll get to them. But I think it's just, again, you have not enough game changers in one team. I think they've honestly underperformed based off of the talent that they have. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Uh, They did make it to the knockout stages, though. They lost to Italy, who would go on to win. Their star man of recent years, though, David Alaba. So David Alaba, he is their only guy that you would call, you know, world class He's 30 years old at this point, so older, not quite super old, but he played left back and, you know, no disrespect to left backs out there, but when your best player is a left back, that's kind of like the worst position (laughs) or it's one of the worst positions to have your best player. They bumped him up because he was so versatile. He could play. I think he played in the midfield for national team for a while. He plays center back now. But still, like when you have one super elite player and him being a defender. What are you
1: saying, Bobby? What are you, what are you saying?
0: I'm going to I'm going to say this. You look at Wales, who I think has a weaker team, and then they made the the semifinals of the Euros one year because Gareth Bale, you have a world class attacking player. There's a difference. I'm just saying
1: it's hard to win if you're not scoring. It's almost it's actually impossible if you don't score. It's true. Not to say defense isn't important. It- <laughs> You know, it is important, but you got to put some in the back of the net, too.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, David Alba, he is a free kick specialist. He can do just about anything. But again, most natural position is as a defender. But he was, uh, he's still only 30. He's won three Champions League. He's played for a while with Bayern Munich, and now he's with Real Madrid. As far as attacking players go, they did have uh, Marco Arnautovic. Played for the in the Premier League for a while with Stoke City and West Ham. And he is... I believe one appearance away from being the most capped Austrian of all time. Uh, Last men's player though. I want to mention is Sasha Kalidzic. So he's 25 years old. He just moved to the premier league with Wolverhampton wanderers. Uh, He's six foot seven, which I mean tall in any capacity, but for uh, you know, in football that that's massive. Yeah. Stupid tall. Yeah. Uh, The picture we have there is him with uh, Samaseku from Mali, and you know, just, just plug in the Molly episode. You know you should listen to it. Uh, Sam Samisaka though was only five foot nine, so he looks ginormous there. Yeah, he
1: absolute freak. Ten inches. I yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, we mentioned him. He he is one to watch as like he could be a really good attacking player that Austria needs. He's obviously with his height, he's really good at winning aerial duels. But unfortunately, in his debut with Wolves, tore his ACL. How unfortunate. First game with a new team in the biggest league in the world, and then you're out for the season essentially. Yeah,
1: um, unfortunate. Hopefully, he can bounce back. A- ACLs aren't as detrimental as they used to be, you know. That I remember ACLs like, you're done, never, yeah, you know, uh, now we've kind of figured out how to re, you know, do the surgery rehab, and uh, hopefully, he'll be able to put something together. Uh,
0: as far as the women's national team goes, also haven't qualified for a world cup, but the 2023 women's world cup. They're still alive for that. I think they'll be in one of the playoff spots for a European slot. So they have a chance. They've been in the... They qualified for the Euros twice, and they've done pretty well at both of them. They made it to the semifinals in 2017, and then the most recent 2022 edition went to the quarterfinals. I believe lost to Germany? Mm. Still, you know, top eight in Europe. Where women's football is strongest, probably the deepest is Europe. So nothing to be ashamed of there uh, and star player i would say nicole billa only 26 years old and about to become the all-time top scorer for the national team yeah, Oof. you know only 26 yeah you got time yeah gonna destroy that record set the bar really high yeah so uh last sport really to mention here um uh, motor sports, formula one yeah austria and formula one i would probably put this as like Behind skiing and football, probably the biggest thing. And Austria's had some very notable Formula One drivers, the most famous being Nicky Lauda. I know, David, we've, we've talked about the movie Rush before. Incredible movie, and it showcases Lauda's Lauda and James Hunt, their 1976 season. Very well done movie.
1: Yeah, with uh, Chris Simsworth.
0: Yeah, and uh, I forget Lauda's Daniel Brühl. I think that's his name. Yeah. Did a really good job.
1: Yeah, great. I uh, Yeah, I enjoyed it.
0: You, the, the movie did a really good job of portraying his personality. Very direct to the point, like a, a stoic. up And abrasive, you know, it, it, and no, you know, he's just going to tell you, tell you how it is. Yeah, street shooter. Yeah. But he was a three time Formula One champ. And in the 1976 season that they that the movie highlights, he was involved in a very big crash in uh, Nuremberg, Germany. Suffered major burns to his face. Um, His lungs got burnt too. It was bad. Yeah, it was a very life-altering crash. But you know, he survived and he was back. He won the championship the next season. Uh, But the other guy that won a Formula One championship from Austria is Jochen Rindt. And unfortunately, this is another... Well, Lauda survived his crash. Rindt did not. So... Towards the end of the season in 1970, there was a practice session for the Italian Grand Prix and Rince, I believe his brakes failed. He was trying to slow down for a turn and he spun out, crashed into a barrier. I don't want to get into the details. They're online. You can read about them because it's a bit gruesome, but he passed away. But he had won five of the 10 races that had occurred that season and he became the first and only posthumous champ of formula one
1: yeah i guess it shows how many points you know how dominant he was to do you know to still win considering he was taking none at that point um really unfortunate situation though
0: yeah i mean it just highlights how dangerous the sport is like how fast you're going and i know that safety has improved significantly in the years since then but obviously still a very dangerous profession As far as racetracks go in Austria, the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg, this is the track that hosts the Austrian Grand Prix, which I believe has been at just about every season of Formula One in the past. I don't know. It's a staple of the tour. And again, Red Bull sponsoring this. We have the Red Bull Red Bull Racing, one of the Formula One teams. Red Bull's everywhere, right? Everywhere. And they're everywhere in the world of sports. So obviously we know them mainly from energy drinks, but that's where they kind of first dabbled in in uh the world of sports was those extreme sports competitions. I associate them with like skateboarding, the X games, and then motocross, stunt, like rally racing. <laughs> but yeah, uh Red Bull's done some crazy stuff in the past ten, twenty years. We were talking like jump rope competitions, breakdancing competitions. Flugtag. Gotta love flugtag.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nothing like Watching people run off a ramp and fall into the water.
0: With giant flying machines that don't really fly.
1: That never work.
0: (laughs) Basically, people build these giant flying machines. They push them off a ramp into the water, but they never really fly. But it's all for the spectacle. Happens every year. Fun stuff to watch. You can check it out, I guess, on Red Bull's website, but also YouTube. I've seen it plenty of times. Um, We've got the Cliff Diving World Series. Of course, Red Bull would sponsor that. Uh, this is a, one of my favorite ones is crashed ice, a downhill ice skating race. I believe they did it at Fenway Park in Boston one year. I mean, th- this is like the kind of extreme sports that I'd love to see, like just racing, like hockey players essentially going as fast as you can. Ah, you got to love it. Pure chaos. <laughs> but good.
1: Good, though. Good.
0: Yeah. Oh, and another thing that Red Bull did is uh, Felix Baumgartner. He was an Austrian everyone's seen this video it was the guy that jumped from like a a satellite thing in the the stratosphere yeah
1: essentially space
0: yeah he jumped from outer space and and landed on earth i don't know if that's like the tallest jump or if that's been surpassed at the time it was like record breaking longest free fall i believe
1: yeah he was up there
0: yeah if you haven't seen the video check it out the thumbnail is iconic the dude is in a red like Red Bull sponsored spacesuit essentially, and then he just falls forward and he's tumbling to Earth at I don't know how fast the dude's going.
1: Yeah, had to have reached human terminal velocity. You know, he there's no way he could have gone any faster. And then uh, eventually pulls the cord and uh,
0: lands safely. Yeah,
1: honestly incredible. Also completely
0: insane. Uh, yes, I will sit that one out leave it leave it to red bull to sponsor stuff like that on the flip side though is the more tame here is the wings for life world run so this was a initiative founded by another austrian another world champ but in motocross you have people and everything uh heinz kinegadner and then the red bull founder dietrich Mateschitz. so the proceeds go to find a cure for spinal cord injury and paralysis i believe I don't know if it's a brother, someone in Mataschitz's family, I believe, like had a spinal cord injury. So the way that this race goes, you have multiple spots around the world and you just start running and then a pace car will start 30 minutes after you and will gradually speed up. And if you get overtaken by the pace car, you're eliminated. So no, no determined distance. You're just kind of (laughs) running.
1: Yeah, it's got to be a different dynamic, you know, when you're thinking about, you know, say like a marathon or whatever, you know how far you're going to go. You know how you have to ration out your energy. And then with this, it's just like, how far, you know, how much are you prepared to give right now, you know, before uh, before you get got?
0: Yeah, it's definitely a unique racing experience. Definitely want to see more more events take on something like that. So I guess after Red Bull, we've covered just about everything. All the crazy stuff that they do. I guess we'll end with uh, Olympics in general. We've already mentioned how Austria has won a ton of medals at the Winter Olympics for alpine skiing. They've done pretty well at the Summer Games, too. So they've participated at every edition of the Olympics, except for 1920, because of uh, their involvement in World War I. They were banned. So at the Summer Games, they've won 96 total medals, Winter Games 250 Over half of those winter ones being from alpine skiing, of course. And at the Paralympics as well, they've been very successful. Over 300 medals at the summer games and over 300 medals at the winter games. They've actually had the second most total medals of nations at the Winter Paralympics. I believe Norway is in first or, or the United States. It's like Norway, Austria, United States. They're all right there.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of medals, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Paralympics there's going to be a lot more events because of all the different uh classifications. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically all there is to cover with Austria. Uh, we didn't even mention, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he is from Austria. I believe he's now, you know, United States citizen too, but uh, you know, when when he was doing bodybuilding championships, he had the Austrian flag. And uh, you know, there's a lot of big Ski producers from Austria, Fischer Sports being one of the most notable. Yeah, there's just so much that we could bring up with Austria. Yeah, but I think got the gist.
1: Yeah, um, next week we'll be kind of visiting a topic that we went over in this episode, so you have to stop by to see what it is, and then we'll be back on the the country profile after that. Anything else you want to say, Bobby?
0: No, I mean that's basically everything. Definitely tune in next week because we 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 hinted at what we're going to cover so it'll be it'll be a fun ride and uh the next country profile episode in 2 weeks will be heading to the middle east it's going to be a good one and every episode's going to be a good one so tune in every week we're on like every platform now true yeah that's sporting in austria hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next week then bye bye